Is It Transphobic? will be addressing issues of transphobia and transmisogyny. We may also address issues of racism, classism, ableism, and various other intersectional issues in this podcast. So this is a trigger warning. The panelists on Is It Transphobic? will also use strong language. So listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome back to the Is It Transphobic? podcast. I am your guest host, Silas Barrett. If you caught our last episode, the Good Omens episode, you know that Ashley has left me in charge. For this and the next episode, I will be running things, which will maybe be a little fun and different, but it also might be a little rocky in the tech department. Just FYI, we don't have Vivian Aladren's beautiful intro music, and because I am learning by the seat of my pants, so to speak, how to record these things and edit it. There might be a little bit of volume issues or something like that, but we'll try to keep it to a minimum. So thanks so much for tuning in. So this episode, we're going to be talking about Farscape, and in particular, uh, Season 1, Episode 12, The Flax. As I said, I'm Silas Barrett. I use he, him, or they, them pronouns, and I'm here with... Emily Asher Perrin. I use... They, them, she, her, he, him, or Z pronouns. Um, Emily, this is your first time on the Is It Transphobic podcast. Welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, in addition to being an awesome writer and pop culture critic and a huge, amazing, genius sci-fi nerd, Emily is also my spouse. So this is pretty fun for me. Surprise! <laughs> Emily's actually the first person who got me into Farscape. I didn't catch it when it when it first came out. It was a show on the Sci-Fi Channel that ran from 1999 to 2003, and it was done um, in partnership with American and Australian production. And the Jim Henson Company was involved. So it's this really cool sci-fi space opera kind of thing that has really amazing aliens and uh, prosthetics, as well as two of the central characters being actual Jim Henson company puppets, which is really, really fun. Um, and Emily was the first person to introduce me to it. I have watched it all the way through, but it has been a while we've been revisiting it, which what is what gave us the idea to do this. So Emily is really the, the resident expert. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you discovered Farscape and what it means to you? Yeah, so Farscape started basically when I was 12 years old. It, it premiered in 1999, and I remember when it started, uh, they were doing all these ads on the Sci-Fi Channel because it was one of their big new tentpole shows when they were sort of starting to get a grip on original content. And they were showing ads for it all year, and I saw one of the puppet characters, one of the Jim Henson puppet characters who's known as Pilot, the pilot of their ship, and when he appeared on screen, I like full out gasped in my living room and was like, I have to watch this. This is beautiful. I need to know everything. And the show surprisingly did not even remotely disappoint me in that area. And it was one of my, it's, it is actually remains to this day, one of my favorite television shows of all time. I would have to agree with that. And I do think we've talked before about how Farscape was a little bit ahead of its time in a lot of respects. Yes. It was really sort of on the cutting edge of what sci-fi television could be. It does a good job with having like the real practical effects and the puppets and, and I mean, the prosthetic work alone looks like a much higher budget. Like it's it could be, you could put it in a film today and it would look great for the most part. Like yes. the, obviously the CGI, not so much, but all the practical stuff, the costuming is really, really incredible. And the storytelling is really, I mean, even today, like it holds up against most of what's out there in most yeah. respects, not every respect, but in a lot of respects. But they were really big on serialized storytelling sort of right as it became popular and they did an incredibly good job at it, even with 22 episode seasons. So I forget there's 22 episode seasons because yeah. you don't ex you expect there to be more sort of flops yeah in a season that long. Um, yeah. There's a reason they don't do them as much anymore. Right. Uh, but the episode we're going to talk about today is called The Flax. Uh, as I mentioned, it's uh, season one, episode 12. And do you want to uh, so try to summarize 
this yes. for everybody who's never seen the show before? Yeah, well, I'm going to give you a, a very basic outline of what the show is actually about. The show that makes sense. Yes. That's a good call. Thank you. Yeah, so the show is, um, it, it's a very sort of Buck Rogers inspired or Flash Gordon inspired kind of premise where the whole point is there's a guy, he's a scientist and an astronaut, and he's performing an experiment, and while he's performing the experiment, he gets shot through a wormhole and ends up on the other side of the galaxy or the universe. He has no idea where he is, and accidentally ends up brought aboard this ship of escaping prisoners. They're escaping from this group called the Peacekeepers, who are, they sound nice, but they're, they're not. They're basically a big military organization who are hired by other people to enforce the peace in a sort of fascist Nazi way. Um, and so John ends up on this ship full of people escaping from the peacekeepers. They're on board a ship which is alive. Her name is Moya, and she has a living pilot who they call Pilot. And they all have to struggle to get along and struggle to deal with their life in what they call the uncharted territories of space. Um, and The Flax is an episode in the first season, and basically... There are a couple different plot threads, but the main crux of it is John is trying to cope with being in space and being around aliens, and he's trying to learn things to be more valuable to the crew because he hasn't been living in this universe where all these species talk to one another and, and deal with one another all the time, and he's trying to be useful. So the person on the ship who he has a great big crush on is their ex-peacekeeper commando. Her name is Aaron's son, and she is... She's almost like the Spock of the show. She's not good with her emotions. She's very... Like if Spock was a warrior, which exactly. is really cool. Yeah, it's, it's real fun. And she basically is... She's helping John learn how to fly one of their um, transport pods, which is like a shuttle like they have in Star Trek. One of the little ships that can leave the ship and go down onto planets and come back. So she's trying to teach him how to fly it. And they end up getting stuck in something called the Flax, which is like a web in space that's been left there by pirates who use it to basically trap things and then loot the ships and kill everybody on board. And while they're stuck there, running out of air, not sure if anyone knows where they are or is even looking for them, their shipmates on the, the ship have run into an ex-Zelbinian pirate whose name is Stans, and Stans kind of messes around with one of their crewmates in like a little gambling match with a silly game and then volunteers to help one of their crewmates, Dargo, who is this giant Lugzin warrior, offers to help him go find a an old Lugzin ship to go find some, some maps related to his culture and then help him go rescue John and Aaron from this ridiculous web because Stans knows how to navigate the flax. So yes. that's, that's, that's the base. <laughs> that was very succinct. Well done. It's, um, it's an interesting thing to have to explain all of that. Um, and of course stuff. I imagine, you know, all these different looking aliens, uh, pilot is like a little bit insectoid looking, um, and has like four arms. Yeah. And like runs the, like is attached to the ship and just standing like, sort of seated in there, like all yeah. attached. Like it's really, really neat. Um, so, uh, a lot of things happen in this episode. Yes. Uh, Aaron and John have to deal with their sort of growing feelings for each other. It's a nice sort of, we're trapped in a small area together and we just have to talk. Yes. Um, which is not, certainly not in Aaron's wheelhouse. No, this is the first episode also where they make out. This was a big, I remember explicitly. It's very romantic. I remember explicitly watching this episode the first time I saw it because my aunt was visiting and no one ever watched this show with me. My parents were like, it's actually too weird for us. <laughs> so they wouldn't do it. But my aunt was there and she was up late at night and she was sitting next to me watching it and the make out happened and she was just like, oh, this show got, this show is sexy. Who, yeah. who knows you're watching this? And I was like, no, this is new. This doesn't normally happen. <laughs> but then it does happen other times. Oh, the, the show. show. Because John and Aaron's relationship is absolutely beautiful, romantic, and perfect. And and also the show is very sexy. The, the joke that's constantly made about Farscape is it's like, you know, you married sort of an old uh, space opera sensibility with like the the fetish scene in Australia. Like people are constantly dressed in leather. There are harnesses everywhere. It makes the show 
10,000 times more fun. But, uh, yeah, yeah. so the, the show's mm-hmm. pretty kinky anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And then, of course, you have sort of the other plot, which is Dargo and Stan sort of figuring out how to make Stan's crappy ship work. There's yeah. a lot of that sort of, I mean, in retrospect, now reminds me of, like, Doctor Who a little bit of, like, go over there and bang that thing and throw these weird things into the furnace and, you know, I need, yes. a, I need an assistant pilot because my ship is falling apart kind yes. of thing, which is... Dargo has his own emotional journey where he basically ends up having to not go to the luxury ship to find the maps he needs because yes. he realizes that John and Aaron don't have enough time for that. But also the Dargo stands thing is kind of a, a comic relief of like, yes, you know, stands as a former pirate and calls uh, himself a garbologist, which I thought was really fun and like sort of that like dumpster diving hippie kind of way. Yes. You know, oh, I don't take trash. I take, you know, treasures that other people throw away and things like that. Yes. And they have this sort of Dargo's constantly irritated with this person's sort of cheerful, slightly wacky demeanor. Yes. And then the, the third arm of the episode is um, the, the, the Zenitian pirates do actually come back. They're looking for Stans because uh, Stans is like, you know, used to be a member of their, their pirate gang and then went to prison earlier before this episode occurred and like kind of sold them out. Basically um, to get out of prison, told some of their secrets and is now the reason that Stans is helping them is to sort of, a little bit of a, you know, screw you to yes. the people who abandoned him in prison. And to give them time to basically find John and Aaron, what what ends up happening is uh, the other two people on board the ship with Pilot and Moya are Zan, who is a former Delvian priest, and uh, Rigel the Sixteenth, who used to be the Dominar of the Hainerian Empire. He is also a puppet. He's a foot tall and lives in a hover chair. And he basically cons the big deal Zenitian pirate into playing a ridiculous game with him that he pretends to look helpless at. But the cool thing about Rigel that you realize when you watch the show is Rigel always knows exactly what's going on and he's a lot smarter than people take him for. Mm. But the the point we are here to discuss today is the character of Stans. When they first meet Stans, they're very suspicious of his professed desire to help them navigate this mysterious web that they don't, you know, he's just showing up and saying, there's this web out in space that's going to catch you if you don't listen to me. And they're like, we don't see anything. And in uh, one of the things that Stans does to prove what he's saying is true is drops trow to show off some like, uh, Zenitian pirate tattoos to sort yes. of like prove like I was one of them. That's why I know what I'm talking about. And both Dargo and Zan observe that for a male of this very humanoid species, uh, Stans looks basically this, you know, there's no alien prosthetics or anything, looks basically human. There appears to be something missing, as Zan puts it. And Stans replies that their species, I believe he says their species is a very unusual yeah biology or structure or something to that nature yeah um and then at the end of the episode after dargo has decided not to go after the luxon ship um which stands is also very eager to raid because it's uh has really strong defenses so only with a luxon can you get through and dargo has promised to let stands have whatever other treasures that he can find uh, so then Dargo decides, no, no, we don't have time for this. We have to go rescue my friends. Kind of chain stands up and takes over to go rescue Aaron and John at the last possible minute when they're about to have we're going to die soon sex. Yeah. And then Stans asks Dargo to stay and yeah. travel and tells Dargo that Stans is in love with him. And Dargo does understand that Stans is the female of the species. Yeah. And that is what we are here to discuss today. So it's, it's really awkward because the episode itself seems very confused about the joke that it's making. Like the, so when we meet the character, the character is presented as male and is presented as male in multiple formats. So the point is the character doesn't 
seem to correct anyone's assumption. Like they, they refer to him as he, he doesn't ever say that that's incorrect. They find a a profile from, for the, for Stans when Stans was in prison, that profile says that Stans is male. There's all of this suggestion throughout that the character is when the Zenitian pirate boss comes and gets on their ship, he uses the pronoun he for Stans. Mm -hmm. So when Stan says, you do know I'm the female of the species, it's confusing because you're like, well, why wouldn't this have come up earlier then? Why wouldn't you have corrected people on yes. that particular And Stan's front? actually even refers to himself, as if we're going to go with the pronouns that the show gives us, as like, is like, come on, ship, like, do it for daddy. Yeah. Like, there's a whole... So it's it's very awkward because it doesn't really seem like the show was thinking that whole plot line through. It's just sort of tagged on at the end there. It's particularly uh, sort of aggravating because when Stans makes this confession to Dargo and is like, you do know I'm the female of the species, don't you? Then proceeds, like, Dargo's like, no, that's not a thing I want. I'm not going to travel with you. Dargo is very awkward about it. And as Dargo is leaving Stans on the ship, Stans is calling after him. Still chained up, by the way. Yes, which is, I mean, Farscape does a lot of... Just leaving you here to float in space, chained up? Unclear. Well, and Farscape has a tendency to sort of treat everything with a a slightly more bombastic sense of humor, which Mm. is usually a thing that I actually like about the show. So, like, the concept, you're not supposed to be sitting there going, well, then how is Stans going to get out? You're just supposed to be like, it's funny that they left him chained up. But if... Stans has now announced, I am female, I would like you to stay with me. And as Dargo is leaving, Stans is calling after Dargo, I love you, I love you. And you're like, wait, what, why would this happen? Yes. And my theory is that this is not, you know, this is the comic relief of the episode. John and Aaron are the A plot. Yep. And it's a very sort of serious emotional plot. They have to decide, like, who's going to, you know, be momentarily dead while they open the ship up to space to make repairs, and then they're both going to die, and they're going to talk about the CPR happens. Yeah, the, all of the tropes. But John like, has to really teach Aaron how to do CPR on him, because she doesn't know anything about it. Right, because you know. she's used to using technology. It's very dramatic. Um, and, and then sort of the B-plot is the thing with Rigel gambling and realizing that Rigel is actually more in control of situations and much smarter than people think. Yep. And then this thing with... Dargo has its own emotional hook as well. We just before there's an episode where we finally find out Dargo's backstory about how he was in a interspecies relationship and his wife was murdered by her brother because of it. And you know he has a son he hasn't seen, and so there's there's a lot of sort of uh, particular weight to his question of is Can he I... going to risk John and Aaron not surviving in order to take the time to go to this Luxon ship and find maps that will lead him to his home world. Uh, it's called the Uncharted Territories because there's no charts, so you never really know where you are or how to get anywhere. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, there there becomes a, a big focus on finding star maps and things like that in the first season. Yeah. So this is like, not even like the C plot. It's like the comic relief sort of laced within yes. the C plot. And so, to me, watching it, it feels just like we just sprinkled in some extra stuff. And it wasn't important. It wasn't the focus. And it's not particularly well thought through. Yes. What makes it fun is the actor playing Stance. Yeah, that guy's great. <laughs> really good. Very funny. And like, as I mentioned, like the, so, the whole like relationship with the ship... And, you know, this garbage ship, there's this whole bit where, like, the ship is full of trash, so it smells bad. And Stance talks about having their smell receptors, like, cauterized cauterized in their line of work. And, um, you know, the whole sort of uh, very, very, like, sort of eager, eccentric kind of character, which is really, really fun. And the actor is very good. Um, And, like, the, the bit of the relationship when... Dargo and Stans are actually working together to make the ship. They get stuck in the flax briefly and they have to like do all this stuff to get out. And that is really fun. And that is the part where I 
almost sort of see like a setup for Stan's being like, right. I'm lonely and this person just helped me and we worked well together. Yeah. And we have that sort of push pull cheerful one grumpy one thing going on, it's which like is like the number one fanfic trope. Yeah. And so I was like, yeah, okay, like that kind of makes sense. And I think the actor does a good job with what he's given. Mm-hmm. But I also think that the script is doing something very strange. Yes. And it's the fact that Zan, who we later find out is a plant, not a mammal. Yes. yes. <laughs> and a bunch of aliens with wildly differing physiologies are like, you look like a guy, but you don't have what we expect apparently all males to have. She says explicitly because stanzas bipedal. Bi- bipedal. Yeah, bipedal. So uh. like, but so, but there is, I think, a certain sort of biological, um, like, binary idea going on here, mm-hmm. where it's just like, all bipedal sort of humanoid species yeah. must look exactly the same, even though we don't actually know of your exact species. Yeah. Um, which I think was sort of like the first thing that threw me off. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were watching this episode, I didn't really remember it. Yeah. I remember talking, like, you talking about it more recently, but I didn't really remember watching it. Yeah. Um, So I was sort of watching with sort of one eye to be like, oh, I kind of remember what this is about, but also it's a little bit fresh. So that sort of was something that stuck out to me probably more than it would have if I was just watching it for the first time and not looking for it. Yeah. Um, And then I guess the question of sort of, like, Dargo's discomfort... Yes. With the revelation. Which is, it, so Dargo is also a super interesting character in terms of the fact that he, he develops in such a way that when we meet him, Dargo is a character that if you don't actually watch the show all the way through, if you just saw him in the first season, you'd be like, this character isn't well written. And it's because he's so dramatic. <laughs> Everything that comes out of his mouth is like, it, it, it's, it's like, bad comic book dialogue, right? It's like, you cannot know the pain I have felt. It's right. like, like angry know, anti-hero kind yeah, of stuff. But like Worf on his worst days in Next <laughs> Gen. Like, you know, it's it's that kind of thing. And he, the thing that you find out as the show goes on is that Dargo's actually kind of a lot younger than he seems to be. And Dargo is also, he's, he's sort of stunted growth. He's like, he's learning how to process his emotions better being around all these people eventually kind of helps him to do it so when in the first season most of dargo's behaviors they're very young behaviors which sort of to me makes that whole his discomfort even weird like it's a little bit more awkward because it's also partly that the character himself is very untested and uncomfortable about everything that's very true and also i mean we've certainly seen uh you do Throughout the show, you realize that, like, Zan is a very openly sexual being, very in touch with her sensual side, very, like, sex positive, um, very comfortable with nudity, things like that. That's yeah. part of her persona. And we have already seen, you know, by this episode, Dargo's discomfort with that as well. Yes. So it's not out of character for Dargo to encounter any kind of romantic and or sexual suggestion and just kind of go, oh, I, um, that's weird and I yeah. don't know what to say so I'm just gonna walk away yeah probably um I, I do I find a lot of times uh doing this podcast one of the things that sort of come up is this question of like sort of the intent mm-hmm. of what is written or what is acted versus how it comes across yes and I think that that definitely is a question here because it's also not out of character for Dargo to, you know, if the character had just been played as sort of like a, you know, cis female human looking yeah. person and presented as female and treated as a female and that wasn't a revelation, it would still make sense for Dargo to have the exact same reaction to this confession of love. Dargo is very irritated by Stans the whole time. Yeah. Stans is very much not the kind of person that Dargo would be attracted to at this point in his life. Yes. Uh, uh, more of a chaos person, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, 
and is very yeah, very irritated by everything that Stans does the entire episode. So it's not like Dargo would have been into this except for this yeah. weird sex and or gender thing that's happening. But as an audience member, I don't know that you're going to read it that way, especially you and I are coming to this analysis having already watched the rest of Dargo's progression. But as you pointed out, at this point in episode 12, you don't really know if, like, what, like, Dargo's whole story, he does have a very, like, slightly toxic masculinity, postury, you know, violent, angry thing about him that you don't really know all of the roots of yet. And you don't have, he hasn't had a chance to explore and the narrative doesn't have a chance to explore yet. That happens later. So that's also something that if you were watching it for the first time, you wouldn't necessarily have that context. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, you know, what my problem with the episode is when I say like, I don't think they thought about it hard enough when they wrote it. Like, I think they hadn't, you know, it's still technically again, cause 22 episode seasons, they're basically halfway through their first season. And the first season is not, it's still a super fun season, but they haven't quite anchored their voice yet. And it's, there are so so many episodes, really, in the first season where you're like, you can see them throwing stuff at the wall and going, what's going to work? How are we going to, how are we going to find our tone? How are we going to find, you know, the, the sort of niche that we occupy? And my problem with how this episode is executed is it feels like, an episode that they were initially going to make a gay panic episode, but they realized that that was kind of shitty and then made it a different kind of panic. Interesting. Cause like, that's what it reads. It reads to me as though the, because if you, if you, until you get that reveal at the end, Stan's reads as a really flamboyant man. Yes. So he's got like a little crop top. Yeah. And like. And he's like got like some really lovely mascara on, or maybe the actor just has great eyelashes. Like. A little bit of both. (laughs) Yeah. Like the character reads as like a kind of flamboyant, kind of effeminate gay guy. And I think that what ends up happening here is I I think that they wanted to do, or at least I wouldn't be surprised if the initial impulse had been, and then we're going to have this guy confess to Dargo that he's in love with him and that and and then they all went but then if Dargo's like no I hate that that just seems really homophobic how do we make it weird how do we make it farscape Mm. and their idea was the character's a woman surprise which is why the episode isn't written in a way that suggests it that is interesting I don't know. I, it, this just occurred to me, but I was just like, "There's something that doesn't fit," and maybe right. that's the where execution it is is off, clunky, and strange. Yeah, and this is—I mean, it is their first season, but mm-hmm. it is a show that overall is very tight. There are actually yeah. not that many episodes, even in the first season, where you go, "Oh, like this," you know, "this is kind of a flop. This doesn't yeah. really fit." There are there are there are pieces. Always, yeah, there are bits that are but. but Compared to a lot of first seasons, I yeah. would say. It's a lot tighter. Most of their, you know, first season episodes have, you know, practically every episode has got some kind of, at least some kind of solid idea backing right. it up, even well, if it doesn't It's work. like, I mean, I think a lot about Stargate when I watch Farscape yeah. because they're about contemporary um, and they are tackling some similar ideas of, you know, sort of like what happens when we encounter other beings and what is our sort of responsibility on other people's worlds and, and stuff like that. And, um, I think always about, I believe it's the second episode of Farscape uh, of Stargate. Oh God. The- where they like go to the planet where like, that's really sexist yeah. and Sam is really offended. And Daniel is like, Oh, well, this is their culture. You can't mess with it. Sam and Carter's the one woman on yes, the team. Yes, Sam for, Carter's For the record, the if you don't and, watch and Stargate as Daniel is the... I, I love how I'm like, nobody knows what Farscape is, but everybody knows what Stargate <laughs> yeah, is, right? Way. Sorry. Um, yeah, and like Daniel the Anthropologist. And nothing that anybody does in that episode makes any sense no. for the characters that they are. Yes. Um, like, Sam is is very much given that sort of like, over the top, like, I'm a military woman in a world full of men, so I have to be, like, really harsh all the time. And then they let her mellow out and just, like, be a person. Yeah. And Daniel is 
historically the worst anthropologist ever because he meddles with everything. <laughs> yes. He walks right into there and he's like, no, this is morally wrong. I'm going to do this. I'm going to touch all your stuff. I'm going to give you candy bars, even though I don't know if you can digest them and, as your species. I do um, like you picking that out as a specific aside because it is a problem that you yes. always wonder There's about. a lot of problems with Stargate, <laughs> which is not the point. But I think about some of the, the missteps that that show had. And they, you know, they sort of figured out where they were going eventually, and they didn't have so many mistakes. Like, the, the kind of retcons they had to do with the Goa Uld. Yeah. Things they said, how they worked in season one. And in season four, they, there's, it's completely different. The Goa Uld are their alien enemies. Yes. And there's not a lot of that in Farscape. No. There are definitely tonal mistakes. There are definitely episodes that don't really land yeah. but there's not like huge retcons there's not like huge character stuff where you're like in season one this was a different person no there's there the things that they do mess up on are are so fun because they're really obvious mechanical errors <laughs> there's like a whole thing they moya has the the ship has a, a thing that she can do it's her one defensive capability it's called starburst which is basically like a more erratic version of warp speed, where basically the ship can just speed away in a great big explosion of light. Right, it's like it's like a it's like a jump. Yes. So to speak, like it's you know from and sort of point to point. When they started the show, they made this suggestion. They were like, every time we starburst, all of our like map positions get totally screwed and we, we can't no idea where we, we are no idea. and then eventually halfway through season one you can see they went that was a bad idea <laughs> oh no we're just gonna pretend we never said that and like i forgot that was yeah the like yeah. so that's the kind of stuff i like that they they're like little mech like mechanized errors that they made where they were like oh this doesn't work anymore like the actual sort of Mm. mathematical equation which is the most likely thing for a, a show to have to change yes like when you get to the point you're like we made rules that restricted our storytelling too much yes and we can't stick to them and those things don't bother me but yeah. in terms of like the overall arcing like narrative themes and where the characters are going and all that mm -hmm. stuff they're really consistent speaking of episode flops yes can you tell us a little bit about the episode in which john and rigel Cross-dress. Yes. So the other... there, There's a lot of really interesting gender dynamic stuff that happens in Farscape because Farscape actually spends a huge portion of time overall as a series flipping scripts on typical gender dynamics. Like, we've been watching the first season together again and I keep leaning over to Silas and, and going, like, that scene we just saw... All of the characters who are women have the men's lines that you would normally find. And all yeah. of the men have the women's lines. So, you know, you'll get stuff like, you know, the, the women are making the honor moves. And then the guy is like, why won't anyone consider my feelings? I mean, <laughs> that's basically John Crichton. Yeah. He's like, well, can we talk about our feelings? And yeah, and, and his, you know, and his peacekeeper commando would-be girlfriend is like, you're, you're so weird. Why do you do this? I don't <laughs> want to do this with you right now. And so it's fun to watch the show constantly flip that script. But in the fourth season, they've got an episode that is called Coup by Clam. It is considered by many fans <laughs> to be... One of the worst, if not the worst, episode that they've ever made. I have a soft spot for it because it is, like, I, I appreciate how weird Farscape is yeah. and all the weird things that they do. And this episode takes so many of those things to a really terrible max. So they end up on a planet and they are basically held for ransom by an unscrupulous doctor. And what the doctor... <laughs> yeah, it's like everyone's favorite phrase, an unscrupulous doctor. There are a lot of unscrupulous doctors in Farscape. There are, actually. And everyone's like, we should trust this doctor. And then, like, well, turn you into a different species or just, like, steal your DNA. Yeah, they're space doctors. They have they're no... They're bad. There's no Hippocratic oath in space. <laughs> you just do whatever you want. And everybody's really, really smart, so it's just bad. Right. So this guy gives them these mollusks to eat. And what they find out is they're really big foods. They're, like, they're like giant, giant... like, dinner plate size yeah. clam things. And so everyone on the ship, like, people were splitting them. And what you find out is there's bacteria in the mollusks, and when you eat them, you become tied to the person who also ate the other part of the mollusk, and if you guys don't 
get, if the bacteria can't get back together, it'll try to do it by like basically making your bodies explode. So the doctor's like, give me a bunch of stuff. Oh, right. It's like a ransom. It's thing. a ransom. It's thing. Like I think he's asking for money. And of course they never me. have any money. You know, they're, they're escaped prisoners and refugees. They have nothing. So they're like, great, cool. We're all going to die. And in this episode, one of the other factors is, again, they're, they're complicated ABC plots going on all over the place. But the planet that they are on is a planet where it, it's like a really weird retrogressive, women aren't allowed to do anything planet, just like the one that they just had Just like the Stargate. one I was complaining about in Stargate. Cool, but cool. on this planet, there's like an underground faction of like female freedom fighters who are trying to basically free up the female population. And those women who actually have what they need in order to cure them all from this terrible thing, I think, is, is the plot, will only deal with the other women of the ship. So Aaron, and at that point there's Sokozu, and there's Chiana, they all go to talk to these women, and they get captured by these women because the, the women on the planet don't trust them. They're like, you could be anyone. Who knows? You're probably trying to threaten our freedom movement. So John and Rigel decide that they have to go and find all the, the women from the ship because they haven't come back. And they know that they're not going to be able. There's like a, there's an event happening where these women are basically trying to get all these powerful men in one place so they can kind of screw them all over. And John and Rigel know they're not going to be let in. They're not on the guest list. But if they were a woman, they would just be allowed in for this party because that's sort of the point of the Freedom Fighters doing what they're doing. So they cross-dress and they go into this party. And it's an interesting scenario because, of course, like you're expecting... there. So there's a guy, one of the evil dudes from this planet, and he is hitting on John as a woman the whole time. John, by the way, is not even remotely convincing as a woman. Like, it's just, <laughs> but like, really barely Wait, doesn't tries. he do the thing where you just sort of, like, hold the veil across your face? Yes. Like, in a slightly higher voice, now I'm a lady, that's all yeah. it takes. No, he takes, well, he keeps doing it with his hair. He's got a wig on, and oh, he keeps sort geez, of letting his hair worse. fall across his face. And it's, uh, it's really awful. Um, <laughs> he, but it, the thing that's sort of funny about it is that the guy who is hitting on John, you don't ever get that moment that you're expecting where the guy finds out that John is not a woman and is like, how dare you, I'm furious. What you get instead is John's constant discomfort at this guy just not, like, not leaving him alone. Hmm. And the, there is a, a point, I do remember, there's like a, there, there is a moment of, of sort of like thoughtless transphobia in this episode because when John wants to reveal that they're not who they say they are, he stands up on a table and he goes, I think what he says is, hey ladies, do any of you have one of these under your skirts? And he of course pulls up his skirt and takes out his pulse pistol. And you're uh, like, oh god, really? Uh, I get it, why they thought that was funny. Yeah. My penis is the pulse pistol. Yeah. That joke has been made. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the joke. I think that that's but what like, happens. I imagine they all while. do, because they're a bunch of freedom fighters. Right, exactly. <laughs> so they're all like, yes! Yeah, they're, they're all packing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a very it's a very weird mm. sort of scenario, but that's the closest that they get in terms of sort of... Well, that's really interesting to me, too, because I found it um, interesting in this episode, just sort of like... Because in, in, in the first season, John Crichton has just arrived... In another part of the universe, he doesn't know how anything works. That's kind of like the crux of this episode. And like the reason he and Aaron are out there is because she's trying to teach him how to fly the little pods. And she's making fun of him because it takes him so much longer to pick things up because he's human and he's less evolved or whatever. Even though John is like a genius and a scientist, which Aaron is not. By human standards. By human standards, exactly. Um, but like... If it was, like, being more sort of deliberately sort of, like, transphobic and shocking, mm -hmm. this would have happened to John, right? Like, right. Jo like, the fish out of water, the person who doesn't know what's going on would be like, oh, no, like, it turned out it was a, you know, like, this was a weird thing going on. And uh, the fact that it happens to Dargo makes it feel a little less crappy to me. Right, like... Just this idea of, like... Yes, Dargo's uncomfortable. Yes, I think as, you know, a human watching this show, like, 
from our society, you're going to take away some homophobic and or transphobic messages from that because you just can't not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's not like, there's no like, man, the universe is weird and gross. Yeah. Even though I think you're right when that's kind of the point. Not gross so much, but definitely be like, what can we do that's really weird? Oh, it's really a woman that's strange and bizarre. Exactly. Just like all the other alien stuff. Like how Rigel farts helium. That's a plot point. It's a plot point. It's not just a random thing. It's like a plot point at one point. Well, that yeah, there there are a lot of weird no, things. Are right they when do. like the other episode when Rigel like eats the weird food and then all of his bodily fluids become explosive. Yep. And so like to escape from people, he like pees on stuff. Yeah. Like you know, and that's not even the weirdest stuff. That's it's actually like really pretty not. basic. Like we had some funny ideas, but I think that's why I'm comparing them. It's exactly. Like, there's not like a huge point to it. You know, like it's not like some weird alien stuff. It's just like let's make this funny and strange. And I yeah. think that's kind of where this is intended to lie as well. Yeah. But it does, it, if it had been the point of, like, exposing John to a female alien that doesn't look female or, uh, you know, being surprised by gender, that, I think, would feel worse to me. Yeah. And I do think that I did, like, take it a little better because it was Dargo and I'm, because it wasn't like Dargo was, like, interested in someone and then found out they weren't the gender that he yes. thought. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's a character who he has no interest in trying to hit on him yes. and him being like, please now. Yeah. And the other... There's no about face. That's the, what would make it really bad. The, and I think the other thing is, John and Aaron are actually there and they witness this confession from Stans and the whole point is that and that is also a moment where it could have gotten really crappy, right? That is a moment mm. where the two of them could have been like, what the hell? This is weird and gross and creepy. And instead, the two of them just kind of think it's cute and funny. They're like, oh, look, this person has a crush on you and you don't know how to handle it. And that's <laughs> that's what's funny to us. Like, yeah. you're freaking out. You know? So it's... Yeah, and they're kind of... And then they kind of, like, leave Dargo there on purpose to, like, they be do. like, haha, now you have to deal with this, like, hazing... Yeah. Um, which, that to me felt a little bit worse. Yeah. Like, the fact that they were all like, oh, this is a weird, uncomfortable scenario, but then they were like, we'll just leave you here to deal with this, and I was like, oh. Yeah. Not that anything, like, nothing happens. Like, Dargo just kind of goes, uh, no, and, like, walks backwards out of the room. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is still a little bit weird. Yeah. Also, I, I as much as I was saying earlier that, like, it sort of made sense that Stans was like... This is someone who worked well with me, and I don't have a partner, like, like a functional partner, as well as a romantic partner, and I am alone, and I used to be part of this group, like, and I was like, oh, that kind of makes sense that Stans would be like, I want you to come with me. But I was also struck by the point of, it's only when Stans tells them that, it feels weird to you, we keep saying he because it's what the show used, but it feels weird, but when Stans is like, you know I'm a lady, right? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, it's like, and also I'm in love with you. Like, yes. we get nothing from that, and the moment that it's a, we, it made clear that we're talking about a female character, suddenly it's like, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love yeah. you, and that, that made me a little bit annoyed. Yes, which again, from a show that, like, spends so much of its time, like, giving women very different roles it was weird to fall back on this very... Like, again, it almost felt like they were making, like, a ye old-fashioned joke. Like, this is what would have happened in a different kind of show. <laughs> like, we don't really do that, but we'll make fun of it here. Yeah. You know? It's, I see that. It's really awkward. Yeah. Yeah, I do think that... um, And it's it's interesting, too, because this is also before... When the show starts, the... The two main women on the ship are Aaron and Zan, and then as the within the first season, they gain another female crew member. Her name is Chiana. Chiana is even more sex positive than Zan, and constantly on top. Well, of she's everyone. like a teenager, and she's yeah, just like, Wee, let's have fun." Yeah, and so like you get. Also, I'm running from my past. <laughs> well, they're 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 all, all running, running from their past. All of true. them. Yeah, but there's a lot of sort of weird. There are episodes later where they do a much better job of making fun of these things, right? Like, and I think yeah. I think that's part of the reason why it's really strange to watch because when you then eventually sort of get the actualization of their tone, the thing that I was thinking about is there's an episode called um, 
Quixote called John Quixote. And the episode is, I believe, a season oh, four episode. That's an excellent episode. It's a really great I, episode. There's a lot of Farscape that I no longer remember. But that, I remember the whole episode. That one sticks out. It's really great. And the the thing, I want to say that the the central, I want the, the, guy, the guy who plays John Crichton, is the actor's name is Ben Browder, and I want to say he wrote that episode. I think he did. Um, and he, and the sort of, they'd solidified their sense of humor very much at that point. And they do kind of a similar ladies are silly kind of thing, but the structure of the episode makes it work. Where the yeah. whole point is that... They're trapped in basically a video game. They're trapped in a video game that has been... he. When I say they, it's John and Chiana are trapped inside a video game. And the video game turns out to have been programmed by an old friend of theirs. And they can't get out of the game and it's being done on purpose. This old friend of theirs was a little... He was a, he was a loopy guy. Um, a little bit. And he... Was a, a he was a pretty erratic person. His name was Stark, and he created this computer game. And he tells John because there's like a simulacrum of him in the computer game or in the video game, and he says to him, "You have to rescue the princess." And they go on this whole long journey where they meet alternate versions of all the people they know. It's very Wizard of Oz like. And, of course, the princess, as you see it, or who seems to be the princess in the episode, it gets turned on its head later, is a version of Aaron who is, like, a character from a Tennessee Williams Yes. Play. It's like she's wearing a big floofy dress with a blonde wig, and she talks like this. And <laughs> you're like, okay, like, that that sort of poking fun at femininity kind of stuff. Right, and, like, was, these weird tropes. And, like, yes. there's not an actual character who's really like that. It's, yeah. It's sort of doing this weird structure stuff. Yeah, so, like, they, they get that toned down eventually. Mm. Like, they figure it out. But in this particular context... They haven't found, they haven't hit the stride yet. And you're like, no, what are you doing? Hmm, yeah. It doesn't make sense. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, well, we have actually talked a lot. We have. And it's about time to wrap things up. Cool. What we do at the end of the episode is we ask, is this transphobic? And you can give it a 1 to 10 rating system. You can and just talk about it. You can make a noise. What do you think? Well, if I were to make a noise, it would be, eh? Yeah, I kind of feel like, I I think that the episode isn't intending to make the commentary that it is, but it doesn't stop it from reading poorly. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, in that regard, it's like, functionally, unfortunately, yes. Yes. Yeah. I I would agree. You know, if I was going to rate it, I'd give it like, well, a four. Yeah. Maybe a five. Like, it's... I think that... I think that it's the focus on the genitalia that ratches it up yeah. to me a little bit. It'd be one thing if it was just like, you thought I was a guy mm-hmm. because I looked in the face like a guy and then I was like, no, I'm a lady. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not nothing, but the fact that the, they start out the setup of this plot by being like, oh, you don't have a penis. Why don't you have a penis, sir? Yes. It just it just sets them up for for it, bad things. It does, especially when like the the episode is so unclear about why the character is not yeah not is being, not making yeah. any sort of you know effort to tell people no you've got it wrong like, right it and then at the sense. end it's just like well obviously you know this yeah it, after it, it was very yeah. clear that no one did it's very it, it, even maybe the other pirates like we don't it's unclear yeah uh, and I think that that to me you can't. You can't avoid uh, transphobic suggestions mm-hmm. if you bring genitalia into it. Yes. And I think that, you know, it's sort of the opposite of what would be traditional because yeah. transphobia is basically rooted in homophobia. You know, yes. you don't accept these people are the gender they say. So now if you're attracted to them, you're gay. And yeah. that's like the worst fate to ever be visited on a man. And also, I mean, I think it's, I, I think that part of the reason why it's a little bit disconcerting as well the, sh- the show is overall like very very sex positive and talks about genitalia actually quite a bit and also talks about various forms of alien sex acts right you can have a bit. Zan like, has sex with her ear yeah like there, there's a character named scorpius and he's got a 
a cooling rod system in his head and when he has sex like the rod pops out and has to be exchanged for another <laughs> cooling rod because it gets too hot yeah there's well there's... i mean you were gonna get hot in that like leather gimp suit yes that is absolutely it's a very he yeah. is he's in like a leather a patent leather tailcoat like it's yes. It's very... But, like, also, it's, like, real tight. Yes. Like, it's not, like, a suit. But anyway, that's that's not the point. The point is, transphobic-ish. Yes. Could be worse. Um, and I definitely, uh, one thing that Ashley always mentions, uh, despite the transphobic nature of this, is it enjoyable? The episode, I think, is, is actually very fun overall. I agree. I actually really like the character of Stan. I do, too. I, I enjoyed the actress portrayal. I enjoyed when the character was on screen. Yeah. Um, and I was very invested in the character. Wasn't thrilled with that particular part of it, but overall, yeah. still enjoyed the episode. Also, the John and Aaron stuff is great. Is also, the Rigel stuff is it's great. It's so good. It's actually a really tight episode in most other respects. It is. And um, I like it very much. Yeah. Yes. And thank you for introducing me to Farscape, and I think we should turn this off and go watch some more Farscape. Let's do it. So, before we go, where can everybody find you? Oh, uh, I am the senior staff writer for Tor.com. That's T-O-R.com, um, where I talk about things just like this, you know, from uh, from Farscape to Star Wars to Star Trek to Harry Potter and well beyond. So that's where most of my thinky thoughts can be found. Fantastic. Um, as y'all probably know by now, I also write for Tor.com. You can read my uh, read posts on uh, my forays into the Wheel of Time series. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram, inland.sailor. Oh, yes. I'm also on those things. And my user handle is use underscore the force underscore M-E-M. Which is, like, one of my favorite Twitter handles ever. Oh, and it's thanks, And darling. if you want to find one of us, you can find both of us because... We're married and stuff. Yeah. And all of our Instagrams and social medias are linked. So thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you again soon. Bye. Well, we won't see you, but you know what I mean. Bye. <laughs> is It Transphobic was produced, edited, and coordinated by Ashley Lauren Rogers. The Is It Transphobic logo was created by Phoenix Sweeney, and you can see more of their work at tinylionroars.github.io. The original music you heard was all created by Vivian Aladrin, who you can find on Bandcamp at vivianaladrin.bandcamp.com. Hello, I am Dr. Raz from Scowl Fight for Your Rights. Are you looking to conquer the world, but help people while you do it? May I present the solution to all of your problems? The Potaser! Yes, the Potaser is my own personal invention for conquering the world with easy home-based electric goods. For just one complicated payment of two medium payments of three easy payments of 1999, you can donate through Fractured Atlas to Scowl, Ladermageddon, and get your own, very own, very very own Potaser to conquering the world. All donations that you make through Fractured Atlas are tax deductible. So if you are sick of dodging your taxes, you can just deduct them instead. Once again, you can buy the Potaser for one complicated payment of two medium payments of three easy payments of 1999. And help scowl Leathermageddon become reality! Please be advised for your own personal safety. Please do not buy the Potaser. Simply donate through Fractured Atlas. Do not, I repeat, do not buy the Potaser. The Potaser is not meant to be cooked, eaten, consumed in any way, shape, or form. It is not meant to be utilized in any way whatsoever and cannot be verified as safe by any American administration. Please, please, please do not buy the Potaser. Simply send any donations through Fractured Atlas to Scowl, Ladermageddon. <laughs>